Welcome to The Readings Podcast, a production from Melbourne's leading independent bookstore, Readings. In today's episode, a conversation with cheese experts Ellie and Sam Studd, authors of The Best Things in Life are Cheese. In this new book, they share their wealth of knowledge and all the practical info you need to up your cheese game, guiding you through the key categories of cheese, from blues and washed rinds to fresh cheeses such as mozzarella, telling the story of each, explaining how they are made, and sharing tasting notes for their favourite cheeses in each category. To discuss all things cheese, here's Readings Programming Manager, Chris Gordon. Hello everybody, my name is Chris Gordon. I look after some of the programming that happens at Readings and I look after the cookbook reviews. Today I am quite excited because I'm here with Cheese Royalty here on the Readings podcast. I'm with Ellie and Sam Studd. They're the Stud siblings and they have decided somewhere along the line, and I don't know whether it was in their childhood or when they became adults or perhaps when they finally got off the motorbike in India, they decided to make their life about cheese. Ellie and Sam, welcome to the Readings Podcast. What a treat it is to have you here with us. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Oh, what a joy. So let's sort of start with how you became cheese professionals, how this cookbook came about. And part of that, I imagine, is because somewhere along the line, you decided to stop the careers that you were doing. And I know that both of you were doing different things and join the sort of family business with your father, Will Stud, and become cheese experts. But you are both certified cheese professionals. What does that mean? And how did it all happen? Ellie, perhaps you could start. Yeah, I was a paediatric nurse at the Royal Children's Hospital for 10 years before I came around to cheese. But I feel like obviously we grew up in cheese. Cheese was always kind of humming in my background and, you know, I was always still bringing, you know, cheese to work, loving, you know, dip into a cheese shop, cheese curious myself. So I think it was something that I denied or, you know, kind of pushed up but enjoyed while I was nursing. Also loved nursing, but then, yeah, just kind of felt an internal pull of like, oh, I'm going to have to explore this. So it was probably in the later half while I was still nursing where I kind of put my feelers out to our dad and he was, I think he was even going to retire. And he was like, what do you mean? And Sammy was saying similar things and he was like, all right, we'll come along on a cheese slices tour. So that was like full immersion. And then I got a job at Cheese Shop, Spring Street Grocer. It kind of just evolved from there. So I think Will, he actually never really encouraged us to go into cheese, but he kind of was like, go and get experience elsewhere. So then, you know, I worked at Nils Yard Dairy. For me to jump careers as well, it had to be an authentic connection and everything I did in cheese, I was like, yeah, this is where I want to be. And then the cheese exam got so many cheese mentors in our life that have been family friends. But once they knew that we needed to do the jump, it was actually Kathy Strange. She's probably one of our biggest mentors. So she's the global cheese buyer for Whole Foods in the US. And she was like, well, you've got to do the CCP. So that's the certified cheese exam. And we're like, okay. So <laughs> I was still nursing. So Sammy went first. It's a three and a half hour exam. They can test you on everything. 
Sammy blitzed it. He's got a photographic memory. So I went like a couple of years later and I was like, oh, my God, like definitely sent you into the wolves. But anyway, so that's how we became certified cheese professionals. And I think it was good because it made us study stuff that is really dry and it's, it is a lot of science and stuff like that, but it definitely made us study things that we probably wouldn't have had the lens for otherwise. Before we get started on your story, Sam, I want to just go back a couple of things just so that our listeners know what you're talking about. The Cheese Slices is the documentary series that your father made. No, and if you look on the Stud website, you can see copies of that, can't you? 60 episodes and they're just half an hour cheese documentaries on different places and different cheeses. Different cheese makers, and they're, they're really beautiful to watch. So I do encourage everyone that has a love of cheese and who hasn't to go out there and explore that website. Sam, it seems to me that your career took a different pathway to your sister because every time I've looked you up, all I hear about is you motorbiking around India, not known for its cheese. What happened? <laughs> You know, Ali obviously had a career path and was pretty orientated in her life. I think that from quite a young age, I often flirted with the idea and and spoke about working at Cheese at some point in my life, but the barriers to entry were quite high. And I don't mean the sense that I didn't have access to it. Obviously, I had access to it. I grew up around it. But I meant, you know, will start like quite a large shadow and like, you know, how do you establish yourself within, you know, the greatness of his father? I did a lot of travel and, you know, worked a lot of hospitality when I was younger, which I kind of feel like go hand in hand. But I found myself in America, especially in New York, and without a job, no cash and no visa. So I um, ended up calling Will and asked him quite politely whether he knew anyone who worked in cheese that might give a, um, I'm not sure this is the correct term, but someone who shouldn't be working a job, a job. He called a guy, used to own Murray's Cheese, which is Leaker Street. It's quite a famous cheese shop. And so I started working there, which, you know, for like $4.50 an hour. For me, it was the first opportunity. It was quite a long time ago, but first opportunity to sort of engage and and really immerse myself in the world of cheese, which is fascinating. And it kind of opened the lid for me a little bit in the sense that I could, you know, breathe. And I was like, this is actually amazing. And all those pretexts that I had really opened up. And so I was like, this is something that I really want to explore. But, you know, was still questioning how, that fits within my life and does that mean working for my dad or does it, what, what does that mean? And so then I went out and started to experience uh, making cheese. So I did a stint at Jasper Hill, which is an amazing artisanal farmhouse producer in Vermont and then did a little bit of work in Oregon and then eventually moved back to Australia and was making cheese. And as much as I love the hands-on process, it was a little bit limiting in the to be completely frank with you, you didn't allow me to have much movement in my life. Like, you know, if you're a cheesemaker, it's, you know, it's really hard and that's why I have the utmost respect for them. It's like, you know, you're bound to one location which didn't fit particularly well with me. And so, like, after a lot of persuasion and I think sort of proving my aptitude and commitment to it will finally gave me a part-time job which rolled into a full-time job. And to be fair, like, I think me and Ali both account, like, you know, working with family definitely can provide its challenges and I think Will had his reservations and so did we. One of the things that I can say is that Will has been an amazing mentor and one of the things I really respect and I'm really grateful for is that he believes that education is key. So any any avenue or any, there's no such thing as a dumb question, but any avenue that we wanted to explore, whether it been like hands-on process or understanding where things come from, 
He's been incredibly supportive about ensuring that we can have that lived experience so then we can transcend the, the, the mystics and the, and the amazing storytelling of cheese. So, like, that's one thing that I would like. I'm like, yeah, we are from cheese and we've had this access, which I don't think any other people have had. And I think, you know, it's a pretty great opportunity. I was struck in the book that there was a couple of references to toasties when you were talking about it and, and in some mm. of the interviews that I've heard you do. Is one of your favourite memories, even though people dream about running down paddocks and fields and mixing with other cheese makers' children and, you know, patting goats and and sheep and cows or whatever, is actually your favourite cheese memory is going to the markets in London and having a toasty? Is that actually the best one because when you both talk about it you talk about the smell of that toasty that leek toasty and it just seems to come up quite often is that is that your favorite memory in all reality for me i don't know about you al but the borough markets and getting that cheese toasty is something that i I, like i keep trying to recreate it yeah i think that truly is one of the best toasty culinary experiences i've ever had in fact i don't think i've ever had anything that's even come close and i think you know, even when you recreated it at home, you still it's like it's a bit like chasing the dragon. And then, like when we still go to London, like borough markets changed a lot. I was mourning, like it was really quiet, and like the, the toasty stand is still there. But I think it was also just bustling, and like it was Jane Montgomery cheddar, and it was just yeah, it, it was a full sensory experience used to be people used to go and buy all their produce but now it just feels like a little bit of a food market so that you know the toasty stand's still there but like you used to have to fight to get there like you would be in that line and you'd be salivating by the time you got to the front of that line because it was a produce market it was the hustle and bustle of the produce market with a few food stands less distracting there was only a few and you'd like just narrow in on that whereas I think you know what Ellie was just mentioning was that now it's just a lot of food stands, like, you know, and so there's other things that distract you. So I think the f- focus is slightly lessened. And the other part of that story is that Neil's Yard Dairy is in Borough Market as well. So as kids, dad would be like in there four freaking hours talking. <laughs> so you'd be like, oh, come on. And then that was our reward at the end. So like, yes, you get so bored when your parents are talking and then you're like, I'm hungry. So that I think that's also part of the reward system thinking back now. So. Absolutely. What I love about, there's a few things that I love about your book, apart from the memories of your childhood. And you've said somewhere, the reason that you wrote this is because you wanted to sort of unwank the whole kind of cheese produce sort of field. You wanted to make sure that it wasn't intimidating at all. When you were researching it, you had to go into the sort of the history of some of these cheeses. Was that intimidating for you to realise that to talk about cheese, you had to give it this whole sort of 360 treatment? I think me and Ellie both wanted to do wankify cheese, to demystify that and sort of make cheese accessible because for cheese curious folk, like people really are interested about cheese as they are with wine, but if you're a dickhead about it, then yeah. it scares people off and I don't want to be part of that and neither did Ellie. People don't engage with that. Like, it's you know, someone's telling me about, you know, it's the same with wine. I just, I glaze over. So I think to research this book, we still had to read a lot of dry books. And the interesting <laughs> thing between 
other research topics, a lot of the cheese history is still in books. You actually can't rely on the internet. Like I feel like on the internet everyone copies and pastes the same cheese notes and stuff like that. You know, we we did all the dry reading, but I was like, I don't want people to be bored because there's a lot of boring books out there. So what do people, what do I want to know? And then it's actually not really about me. <laughs> it's about like how I want to get people excited by cheese. And, you know, that's why there's pleasure dairy story, you know, like it's cheese is sexy and there are some really naughty stories as well. So like, let's do some fun and naughty stories because you don't have enough time for life to be boring and cheese isn't boring. And we wanted to celebrate that. Both of you did a really good job. I liked it very early on in the book that it opens up with cheese with drinks, what works, what doesn't. And I do reckon both of you are spot on. I was very pleased with that because I hadn't thought, stupidly, that you could do sort of perfect cheeses with champagne. That's my new little party trick there. So I want to thank both of you and my friends and family want to thank both of you as well (laughs) for that because that was just a sensible way to start it up. I wish sometimes that these podcasts had that you could see me right now because I want to be holding Mm -hmm. up this beautiful, your champions boards and here it is, the rock star cheese board pictures. They're just gorgeous. I was really impressed with that because it does make it accessible and it makes it accessible to someone who is not a cheese connoisseur, as we might say. Somewhere along the line that you've said that cheese is a bit like a church because it brings people together. I think the same thing about bookshops, actually, that bookshops are the new churches. You know, it brings people in and you can have time to reflect and you can have time to just pause your life and look around. Why do you reckon cheese is like a church? I think food in general, especially amongst my family, is it's like a church. You know, it's a place to break bread and reflect and, you know, take a moment outside of the chaos uh, of everything that's going up and really connect other with the food or the people around you. And I think for me, cheese is a great talking point. One, because I've got a lot of assumed knowledge. And we both, well, me and Ali have got a lot of assumed knowledge over the years and it's, it's something that we know inherently. But I think... You know, for us, cheese is so amazing. As I'm going to steal this one right out of Ellie. How can one, four ingredients speak so many different languages? You're welcome. <laughs> um, but I, but I do think you know it's a great it's a great talking point, and, and cheese is really interesting, and it all holds like it's it's got such a symbiotic relationship with you know history, culture, um, tradition, and and it's a great talking point. And I think you know, much like religion, it kind of brings people together, and it means that you're connecting on something that you can all agree on, which in this day and age can be very more and more difficult. So I think I like that aspect of it. And I think, you know, creating a sense of community and connection is something that I find really important and is beneficial for everyone involved. It really is. It really is. And as you say, more and more now in this kind of shitty world that we're living in at the moment, it's so terrible that cheese is going to be the only thing mm. that favours cheese and wine. Cheese can save us, maybe. Isn't that the lipstick lipstick law where, you know, the world's falling apart but lipstick sales go up, champagne sales go up. And cheese. Caviar. But, like, you have to suck in these small moments of joy and that's why I love cheese. It's like what brings us joy and other people joy and seeing someone's face light up when they have an incredible piece of cheese in their mouth. I'm like, 
yes, let's suck that in. That's <laughs> we need more of that. And it's the small moments. Like we're not buying new cars, we're not buying, you know, we're trying to save our houses and stuff like that. So it's just like, okay, I just want one beautiful piece of cheese and let's all be present. I'd wear that T-shirt, Ellie. I'd wear it. So what is interesting is that here on one level it seems so straightforward that cheese is made out of these four ingredients, as you say, and it can bring families together and there's all these different varieties across the world. But did you ever think when you were growing up that cheese, loving cheese and the importance of cheese through our world would actually make you an activist? Like would you consider both of yourselves to be activists because you're preserving a traditional type of cheese making? I find activist quite a loaded word, but I think we're champions of cheese makers in the traditional means of manufacturing. I think maybe with Dad in his career coming to the final close of like, okay, well, it is kind of down to us to keep telling these stories. Like who is going to tell these stories of the cheese makers? And I think it was a little bit of a daunting moment but then it was also like, okay, we've got this. Like cheese is fun and we're here to tell that story. So I think with our lens that we've kind of chosen to tell the stories in a really fun way, it's like let's be engaging and then with that people can understand and enjoy cheese that way. What do you think, Sammy? Well, I think it's all about access to information as well. And I think people are hungry. Like, you know, people want to know where their cheese comes from. They want to know the difference between a brie and a camembert. And, like, you know, how do you translate that information in an accessible sort of non-intimidating way? And I think it's through, like, a younger vernacular or a way of speaking or a less pretentious way. And I think that's kind of where me and Ellie can still, you know, carry that baton from the lessons that we've learned from not only our father but the cheese legends that we've been associated with our whole life and it's sort of like I guess our book always draws back to like we want to give you the tools so you can experience the beautiful world of cheese that we have and I think that's kind of what the the ethos of the book really falls back on. Traditional cheese making is dying like when we go to Greece or go to Cyprus and stuff like that or even in Australia like artisan cheese makers it's really really hard for them and like keeping the shepherds in the mountains and stuff so instead of going to the city, it's on the decrease. So I think, yeah, it's also important to realise that we need to preserve these traditional cheese making. Otherwise, this variety of cheese won't be accessible. One of our really good friends has a T-shirt, and I think Will's done it a few times with China, and it's an interesting one because I think the more you think about it, it kind of eats away at you a little bit. But on the front of it, it says, eat like an idealist. And that's something that really resonates with me. And I think it's got different comprehensions depending on what you're doing. But it's important to, like, put your money with your mouth here sometimes and, and eat things that are good that have a true history because, you know, cheesemakers are struggling and you need to make sure that you support them. And I think that's one of the things that we try to get out in the book is, like, go out and help eat some good cheese. Well, you know what? This book is actually really terrific because one of the things that I think that you've done in there apart from have these delicious recipes at the end and your sort of language of food that you use I like 
you know, that you have these kind of midnight munchies and, you know, all these kind of sweet ways of talking about the recipes, but you also give some very practical information, not just about the history of cheese, but also about how to keep cheese. And I thought that was really important, actually, and I've changed my way because of both of you. So I've read a lot of cookbooks, but actually having that practical information about which cheese to be keeping in that little wooden boxes that they come or which to put into a Tupperware container actually has made a huge amount of difference. And it does allow me to feel more free in spending more money on cheese if I can keep it for longer. And it's not just for the Friday night or the Saturday night dinner party, then actually I will keep buying it. So that practical information with your history, with these terrific recipes, makes a glorious book. I do want to ask you a couple more questions. First of all, and this is a personal question, and I think that we can tell a little about your personalities now that I've read your book, if you answer this truthfully. So I'll start with you, Ellie. What cheese is in your fridge right now? Well, I'm on the tail end, so we've been on the press tour for like two and a half weeks. So I just gave my babysitter some vertebrate butter from Normandy, mm. and then I did a delicate cimetron, so I wash rind. Yeah, that's kind of floral, a little bit meaty. It was probably, it was a brave move because it was the first bit of cheese I've given her, and I went straight to the wash rind. But I've still got one of those left, so there was two, so I gave her one of those. I do have some rock for I've got a big hunk of cheddar that we didn't use for a cheese board. Halloumi is like always at the back because that's what I cook when I can't be bothered cooking anything for dinner yeah. with asparagus yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I would say like it's still 50% cheese and that's on the tail end. You're <laughs> based in Melbourne, aren't you? So you, yeah. the climate is well suited. But you, Sam, you're up in northern New South Wales. What's going on in your fridge? I don't want to lie to you because you know that you can read lies apparently. I'm staying at my auntie's house, so there's currently no cheese in the fridge. Sam Stard, you've heard it here. I'm going to be honest, I travel a lot for work. And so I have a few key items in my fridge, which normally I have a a fridge full of uh, normally vertebrate butter. Kind of amazing. It comes in this gold foil and it looks like a little Willy Wonka block. You can get it from a place called All Our Welcome right near where I live and it's delicious. Everyone thinks you're an amazing cook when you cook with that. You're like, yeah, that's definitely me. Because I am traveling a lot, I feel like I go for those like long cheeses that'll be there, like waiting for me, like my fr- friends and family that are waiting for me back home. So I normally have like the barrel aged feta is a must, uh, the halloumi, Aphrodite halloumi. There's always a big chunk of Parmigiano Reggiano and Comte. And then, like, you know, I guess for me, the soft surface ripened cheeses like briats and stuff like that are a bit of a special treat for when I have my feet on the ground for a little bit. But I'm, to be honest, like cheese is probably one of the only constants in our lives, for well, my life anyway. So it's just constant. It's always around. Fantastic. It's fantastic. So weekend in Melbourne, someone is going out doing the big shop. Do they head straight to the Vic Market or do they head? to what sort of delis? Where where do they go? Where do they find the very best cheese if they haven't spent the time looking at your websites? Super Cheese Richmond's banging at the moment and that's probably a safe meeting point for a north sider or south sider, right? The owner, he knows what he's talking about and I think, you know, we talk in the book, it's like you have a, have an affair with the cheese monger, like you want to go on a journey. So, like, I feel like 
if you went in there, I'm like, I feel like this today, he would be able to pull something out. And I reckon Super Cheese Richmond is definitely Boccaccio Sellers. Sammy, what are your faves? Yeah, I'm just trying to make it more accessible because they're very specific. I think like anywhere with a high-frequency turnover in terms of a, a man cheese can is always good because then you can have an affair with a cheesemonger and talk about and interact with them and tell them what you like. And I think, you know, one of the key principles is to know what you like. So if you like dreamy, creamy, start there. And, you know, if you are speaking to the to monger, be like, hey, I love dreamy, creamy, Briat 7 is my favourite, but I'm feeling wild. Where should I go next? That will really help you direct you. Otherwise, you can, you know, it is possible to do by yourself. So to go somewhere with a good range that has a high turnover, I think is really beneficial. And then, you know, you can explore it yourself. And like, There's some really good independent IGAs at the moment. Like I really support like local independent supermarkets. So I think, yeah, definitely worth a visit with their cheese cases and like use our tips on how to navigate that. Or the other option is just explore the whole Will Stud range because it's all good. <laughs> all good. Yeah. It turns out you guys know what you're talking about. We've run out of time, but I do want to congratulate both of you for this gorgeous cookbook, The Best Things in Life Are Cheese. Uh, look, I was a bit taken, but I've got two favourite recipes. The first one is the toasty because I'm quite partial to a toasty when I get home about one. If I've had a few beers, I really need something just to settle my tummy. Mm -hmm. I know that you nicked one of them from a sort of a Jamie Oliver recipe and converted it a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've tried that. I think it's an absolute winner. My partner and I, we're all in. We're 100% in. My son is pretty big on your mac and cheese, thinks that we should actually be having that on Christmas Day. The whole book is a pleasure and it's one of those accessible cookbooks that, as I've just mentioned, if you are sort of a bit of a foodie, you can pick up and enjoy but also leave it around the house, leave it on the kitchen table, on the kitchen bench because teenage kids will pick it up as well. Your friends will pick it up. I think it would make a very nice Christmas gift with a big (laughs) slab of cheese and maybe cheese mess you can put in your card. You could, couldn't you? I feel mm-hmm. like you've got another career, Ellie. I feel like you're the one with the the sort of the slogans that you've got that going on. Got your brother who's just a little bit more romantic mm-hmm. and has got sort of the green field that's spread out in front of his eyes. It's a really great combination mm-hmm. and it comes through on the on the cookbook, the romance and the pragmatic information that you need to buy cheese and enjoy eating cheese. Thank you both so much for being with us today. Complete cheesy joy it has been. (laughs) Thanks so much. The Best Things in Life Are Cheese is available via all reading stores and at our website, where you'll find all kinds of other recommendations, great books, music, film and TV. You can also sign up to eNews or receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. Thank you for listening.